0: Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below and even feature here yourself if you've got what it takes.
1: It 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 maps it maps well with what I think uh some of the some of the axioms that you would get from DM theory. Uh like I I think that you have intuited your way as me and Matt both kind of suspected that you had something similar to what I was holding when I first met Matt, which was what I saw in pretty much anyone that I've invited to be in my digital presence, if you will. <laughs> that, well, like, the,
2: the argument is there's no such thing as nothing was one of the ways I, uh, I used to, when I, when I tried to to speak to the postmodern position this was one of the ways that I tried to speak to it. I I don't think I got it as succinctly as Matthew has gotten it. Yeah, he got it but, right there and direct. But, but so I I did these long diatribes about the something and the nothing, and I and so what I heard when I heard uh, you expressing it or uh, Matthew's expression of it. Uh, I went, oh, I know what that is. Uh, and I, I I did read it as well. So that, all that part of it, to me, seemed like, okay, that, that part is no problem because uh, that is exactly how I came to it as well. Nice. Um, um, but it was never my intention. The, 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 I think one of the differences is, is I didn't really grow up in a community where people were believing this other thing. To such a degree that it was like you know a kind of recurring nightmare now it's sort of like that but uh, yeah at the time, this wasn't like people weren't thinking in a way where you had to like fully develop the argument so that it was clear to the other person that was nonsensical
1: dude it's weird that that would even have to become
2: it's weird yeah I thing to weird.
1: point out like me and Matt have kind of scratched our heads about some of the really obvious distinctions that we make like one of them being it's more reasonable to assume that our perception of the laws of nature change than the laws of nature themselves but obviously we we don't know one way or the other it's just if we use logic and the tools that we have at our disposal we can deduce something that's at least fairly confident and we avoid the pitfalls of proof and certainty and all the uh the, the troubles that come with minds that get so rigidly structured so as to not be able to be adaptive in real time. Yeah. So I, I mean that's for one for me thing. to
2: be adaptive in real time, I had to take a probability model in relation to Yeah. I was more deterministic. When I when I say more narrowly rational, <clears throat> I was more Euclidean, deterministic, yeah. uh Newtonian and all those those notions worked for me, and uh, to a large degree, and they do work for to a large degree. It's only when you get to certain territories that uh, it doesn't work anymore. And and the territory that it would always be would be the synchronistic territory. All of a sudden, the, yeah, the laws I understood what the world was uh, weren't working, and everything was much more metaphorical. And I go, why am I in a world like yeah how did that
0: happened and like you've heard me espouse my um incomprehension of that phenomena like i would love yeah. to understand but i openly admit that i just can't quite capture it yet
1: at least not in a deterministic model fully but hmm.
0: uh, but it's... like i i think that it is a sudden, um paradigm of determinism i'm just not sure how
1: I do too. And I, yeah, I exactly. Agree, but I did like, ex- and I have intimations of because of my artistic proclivities, but like, that's, I would have to offer that caveat just because of my self knowledge, not because I don't want to mislead anyone, let let alone myself. And
2: yeah. which, it, which that's which is why.
1: The- I, yeah. I do it the way I do just because that's what makes sense to me. But as as long as any of us can be aware of what we're doing while we're doing it, well, fuck! What more can you ask of a friend or a fellow human?
2: Yep. <laughs> and the thing is, is that that seems to be the key: It's being aware of what you're doing when you're doing it. That that yep. seems to be the, the the thing that opens this this gateway.
1: Yeah, both yeah. ways too. I think.
2: Yeah. Because
1: I was not into determinism, and after DM theory, I've you know incorporated hard determinism into my understanding. And the more I learned about that, the more I kind of learned about how I, I really wouldn't have gone through any schizophrenic excursions. That's right. <laughs> had I have had these assumptions built into my framework.
2: that That's what really bothers me about the present educational system is it's actually creating a, a space for a lot of uh, dysfunction. I agree. That, that's totally unnecessary.
1: You got that right.
2: Which is probably why
1: uh, we homeschool
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's no way out of it though, because um, <clears throat> your children that do have to develop an immunity,
1: yep, really good to the point.
2: Ideas in the culture, and it takes a long time to process phenomena. Really
0: for, does.
2: Me, for me, it, everything that I see around me, like everything that I saw as a kid. Uh, for me everything was not quite understandable and i couldn't understand why other people thought it was dude and I, th- I thought it was because i maybe i was retarded a little bit <laughs> right, right? Yeah. so I I, I I i i sort of kept that theory sort of under wraps but i thought maybe you know i'm just slower than other people mm-hmm and uh Over time, it became apparent to me that I really was seeing more of the variables, more of the possibilities, and this was slowing me down. It was not making things as obvious uh, as they seem to be to other people.
1: Well, that's the Denning Kruger effect, but in its positive manifestation. Exactly. And those who estimate themselves, those who know more estimate their abilities
0: as as not
2: they're
1: just not as remarkable because they know more of what's going on. But those that think they know, well, they overestimate because they don't know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it looks like the culture is is being more and more led by people who don't seem to know.
1: Yeah. Until like
2: you go uh, to college. Yeah. So where now <laughs> university is a sort of psychological risk. Hmm. A lot of this goes back to Schopenhauer, to tell you the truth. More and more, I realize how much of Western culture, modern Western culture, has been formed and shaped by uh, Schopenhauer. I was just reading uh, the other day, Jung talking about Schopenhauer. Mm -hmm. And how basically Jungian psychoanalysis was, I don't know, I would say tainted to some degree by some of these misconceptions. One of them, this whole idea of uh, will as an idea, this whole uh, um, notion around will. I don't think it's taken anybody very far, but uh, the premises are interesting. And uh, Schopenhauer describes the premises, how he gets there. And it's actually quite bizarre and, and no one seems to talk about it.
0: It's a very biological argument.
2: Very biological. And so, some one part of it, you know, is true. One part of it.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah. And, like, you can understand what he's saying. And um, specifically, for instance, when he talks about wh- how he conceptualizes um, romantic love, right? He says that um, the experience of romantic love is the illusion of the will of the species um, instantiated in the individual to reproduce. Yeah. Um, and the reason he says that is because, well, to some degree, obviously, that is the case.
2: Yeah. 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 The, what isn't uh, the case is that it's an illusion. That's what's not the case.
1: Yeah, yeah course, dude. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting feature, though, to the way that we analyze things is how quick we are to conclude illusions where there are none and misapprehend the illusions that we take as fact?
0: Yeah. But isn't that like symptomatic of calling them illusions to begin with?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good good point. They're, they're
0: <laughs> It would be foolish to suppose that we are accurately representing that which we represent as fooling us.
1: Ha, yeah. that's that's a cool one. <laughs> uh,
2: uh, that that's where Brendan goes or where he he wants to go. Yeah. Um, and it's a way to dampen the uh the threat of the uh the awareness that's starting to upend framework. Right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah.
0: So it seems it, to me that Brendan is a step behind ontologically.
2: Yeah, be- because and it, he it, it, says um do I go? Uh, it's because he's adaptive. And and again with Eddie I would say the reason that that you've suffered some of these risks is because you're so adaptive. And mm-hmm. uh to, so 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 they they remain imagination and then also because they they don't uh because this process isn't required to be as disciplined as a process yeah. that moves into the real world it has uh you know less stringent requirements and then totally. therefore yes. it can be more imaginative than uh, you know it can be it then it can be an illusion
1: yeah and it's at least if i quantifying it as such i'm less likely to fall victim to it but one of the things that i've right. been trying to do at least consistently now just is quickly map... eddie yeah
0: that one is yeah the, that one's qualify.
1: Ah, uh, thank you man
0: mm-hmm.
1: so when i when i qualify things out of the domain of pataphysics or imaginary phenomenon yeah into the domain of metaphysics or that which is logically consistent or structurally sound. It's yeah. Um like I'm I'm trying to make a distinction between mind and imagination. So so much yeah, but so I, I don't think you,
2: I don't think you understand the role of imagination.
1: Uh well perhaps not in its entirety, but I know like my what we could say I know my handles on the the beast of it that I've had to tame so that I can have what is at least the similarity of a sane <laughs> character. Oh,
2: yeah. See, the thing is, I I imagine imagination to be this. Like, for instance, one of my studies is Sumerian uh, history. Okay. Uh, And and it's not an easy study because you're trying to figure out what a culture was thinking that our culture doesn't even remotely think. Mm. And they've also got a set of metaphors. Um, So they've got a language of symbols that mm-hmm. Even though we know what the symbols are, we don't really know what those symbols mean. Mm-hmm. You know? mm, the ideas and,
0: are alien to us.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, and it, it and it, the way they use language is sort of alien to us, and it describes a certain prejudice in relation to the world, and and that prejudice—that's what I'm after—is trying to understand what kind of world were these people seeing, because it's definitely a different world world that we see and um because there's this historical this is weird way in which we're we're, we're doing a repeat of uh i think of certain archetypal conflicts i'm curious mm-hmm. to see how this phenomena got resolved i think to some degree some of the issues we're struggling with got resolved more clearly in the past just some not all but some uh, I don't think that's an unreasonable point of view, and if, if you if you look at it from a statistical point of view, there's a good possibility that uh, human beings, especially if they were uh, they formalized psychedelics in their religious culture, um, mm. they might have some awarenesses and ideas that might have over a couple of thousand years uh, become become skill. Because right? hmm. because if I believe I can stock it uh, skillfully, then maybe other people believe they could stock it skillfully, and they they learned how to, how to do it.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's not
2: like they,
1: it's not likely that you're the first person to think of that stalking metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and
2: and and it turns out it's true. They did. So yeah. so you find as you're looking through history that wow these these people actually understood some very mm-hmm. crazy things, very interesting things. And, 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 p- and p- part of that is the idea of developing empathy for another human being, that that is the central challenge, is that uh, when you develop empathy for another human being's existence, that other human being's existence now becomes a trauma uh, for your whole world view, your whole existential projection.
0: Mm -hmm. I would Um, say that to some degree, humans have probably understood the entire world over a dozen times in history, right? It's just that um, we have not managed yet to, as uh, David Long, I think is his name, would Mm -hmm. would love to say, we haven't managed to integrate it yet, right? Like in my my personal opinion, like um, when it comes to uh, ontology and metaphysics, I would say that um, like the platonic realm of forms is about as articulate uh description as you can get. And then um, like the next very next generation, Aristotle came along and he said himself, nothingness is impossible. You know, and if someone were to just uh back then were to just put those two ideas together, maybe they could have solved it, but they were uh disparate, you know. Aristotle said, mm-hmm. Well, actually, <laughs> you know, actually, teacher, that's some bullshit. Here's what's yeah. true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I've loved that analysis too, by the way.
0: Mhm, and it's so very human, right, to tell your teacher that they don't understand.
2: Mhm. Yeah. And uh the the other interesting aspect of it is is if it actually is a skill and and there are a plethora of compulsions that interfere with your comprehension of it that you aren't in aren't in control of. Um, yeah i
0: love but, how you went to say complete control but you're like not not at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh
2: yeah exactly um you're not in control of it all you can do is observe it and keep taking runs at it and find out what happens you know the next time around it's basically what mm-hmm. I do.
1: yeah update your, your approach
2: i'll hopefully maybe this time i have enough language and theoretical understanding for the uh the the more complex understanding to uh, to manifest to and crystallize crystallize yeah. and well, actually are... i think i think it is crystallizing to some degree this this winter and our conversation <laughs> is all part of that synchronicity to some degree I and agree. it's really cool I, I, yeah. to have other people to talk to without worrying about like uh the fundamentals you know
1: i think that's the that's the main reason why we we're so compelled to probably interact in this way. Yeah. Because uh, I, I know that Matt and I have like, he's younger than me. You're older than me yet. There isn't really anything other than a sharing of what we all would probably constitute as something wise, something worth sharing from our own experiential database. And, uh, like one of the things that I love that Eric Weinstein pointed out in the movie Kung Fu Panda is that um it kind of gets into the idea of the auto or the self teacher and how it is that you pass on a tradition of self teaching without uh... violating it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's just such a difficult concept to put out in like, some comprehensible way like like matt pointed out like just a combination of aristotle and the theory of forms and you get like a little bit of a a articulate philosophical way of putting it but then like there's the problem that you find in the bible with like a good king having a rotten son and like the nation of israel or it wasn't even a nation at that time but like the The idea being that they just would fall in and out of God's favor, because there's this sense of rebellion against the past that's almost always this thing that humans uh, compulsively regurgitate. So we tear down the parts of our structures that we don't need to, to ass- uh, assert something.
2: Here's the thing. You use the expression there. And what I was going to say about the way you understand imagination is different from the way I understand it is mm-hmm. that for you, imagination appears to be a rebellion against reason. And for me, imagination, I use my imagination to try to fit. I, what happens is, is I get this reservoir of facts and they represent contradictions. And I try to imagine a, a world in which all these facts could coexist and be one world. So I try I use my imagination to, to imagine a, a more coherent paradigm that could include all the facts that I have to contend with.
0: Here, yeah. Here's what I would say. Um I would say that you're definitely like that, you're describing a younger Eddie. He used to yeah. be like that. But yeah. in my opinion, these days he's not like that. These days he is aiming his in- imagination at at uh Coherent articulation, even if uh, he sometimes exhibits the trademark characteristics of his younger self.
1: Exactly, <laughs> my old patterns—they do bleed well through. And, <laughs> and well, it's not that what you're pointing out isn't like the thing that I constantly aim and update towards. It's just uh, Matt had it on the head right there for sure.
2: Yeah, and I I agree with that. I agree with that. But to tell you the truth. I thought it was true more before walking into the DPC thing and then discovered it was less. So that's that was my experience of it. I don't know if that okay. makes sense. Because it seemed like you were actually quite coherent uh, top <laughs> to bottom. So in my mind, oh, well, Eddie's not going to be a, a, you know. A, a, An issue here. Yeah, a wild yeah. variable and then yeah. i go oh, a, fuck. Wild a wild card i just wanted card. to show you
0: what
1: what kind of cards i have in my deck man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm being upfront with it
2: no no that's what i wanted actually you know i okay, wanted good. to see i wanted to see what kind of cards were, were in the deck
1: yeah all, all around
2: i, mean, I was I won't willing play to take something a... that,
1: i won't play something I'm... that i'm unwilling to accept in others so if yeah. i do it i'm obviously willing to ha- accept in you And that was what I kind of wanted to show David in that, look, he may like your words may be being perceived a certain way by David's mind, but that in no way constitutes like anything other than the fact of David's mind perceiving you in a way that is missing the point as far Mm -hmm. as I can tell, because you and I can both do that to each other uh, and not take it off into a tangent land that imposes what would be like formal setting of dinnerware at a table that no one's going to eat at like sorry we're all going to be holding our drinks and eating our food around a bar and talking the way we're talking right now it's not necessarily going to need to be this formal elegant mm-hmm. dinner laid out so that we all feel nice and fit
0: I think that's probably what's responsible for the way that uh like I perceive it when I look at it which is the bickering of shadows you know because yeah. it seems like um Mr. Integral is unconscious of his shadow and when um when Joshua here is let's say uh mm, Metacognitively embodying his shadow for utility. Um, The only thing that the integral guy can see is that um, you're breaking some of the formal rules. And it's like, to some degree, of course, that's true. Mm -hmm. But also, um, you are breaking some of the rules and you're unwilling Mm -hmm. to admit it. And until you do admit it, what else, like, what other choice do we have? And it's something that I get a lot myself, right? Because um, I don't like to be a hypocrite. And so yeah. it's something that I think mean, yeah. about a lot It's like yeah. I tell other people not to break the rules, but every now and then I have an intuition that it's justified. And it goes something like this. It's like um, if you are being stubborn about, for instance, epistemology and mm-hmm. I can't get you to admit that you're being stubborn about it and so you're essentially just being arrogant then mm-hmm. what i'm probably going to do is i'm going to switch my focus to making you look silly because
2: you do yeah. look silly yeah that's <laughs> so good yeah yeah well that, i think i think i had an impulse like that
0: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like i can identify that really easily because i see it in myself but it seems right. like he is unconscious of that part of himself
2: yep yeah he's unconscious and it seems to be a big deal to come down to that very big deal i, I wasn't expecting it to be a big deal I, I was expecting it to be okay a little trauma but it'll be it'll there'll be a recovery yeah i
1: thought this like revisiting of it was gonna let the water be under the bridge and
2: no I, you know what when i actually said that uh, there's a psychological like there was a point where and, and this i think was regarded as gaslighting yeah, that's what he I, called. It. I, you know, people are using that term very loosely these mm-hmm. days, it's like way too loosely. It's I agree. become a kind of psychological defense mechanism.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm.
2: Whenever I hear the word, my 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 uh, my ears perk up and and I do think like as I as I'm describing as I'm describing like uh, some of this phenomenology that I'm describing to you Eddie. Mm-hmm. the way you used the word gaslighting, the way you were describing what was going on, in spite yeah. of my description of what was what was going on, you, you just didn't want to believe it. Like, uh, and yeah. I know, and one of the reasons, and so it's interesting, why didn't you want to believe it? And part of it is you can't imagine in your mind that someone uh, w- with my skill mm-hmm. would lower myself <laughs> to that yeah. kind of behavior. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure if you were pretending or not. And like, Hearing your
1: voice about it punctuates the uh, uncertainty or the skepticism that I had. That I had to voice through text. You can hear the it.
0: smile, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, you can hear the smile, and it's different. Yeah, you can hear it. You so can't I can't, hear can't hear it do text. it.
2: I can't do it with voice, obviously, because I, I'm not like I, I, I don't take this far so far that I have to train myself to be a you know a really good liar. But I can mm-hmm. do right. writing. I can just say what I want and you if you don't know the tone you have to imagine it yourself which gives room for your shadow to
1: embellish you know, start projecting mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. project
2: yeah as well and that's and, actually
0: and t- like um sorry, and,
2: and I'm giving license so what I would I think what what I was one of the things I do when I feel like I'm stumped I don't know how to relate to the person is I isolate what it is that's annoying about that person and I go, if I bring it up to him, I'll just be this wimp going, hey, you're not playing fair. You know, and I don't oh. want to be that. So I go, okay, so I need to uh, do the thing that he's doing Yeah. Uh, to the point where he brings it up. And then I can go, okay, then let's, let's both stop. Yeah, so Dude, it
0: looks like yeah. you have a problem with this
2: thing. Yeah, it do. looks like you <laughs> uh Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I I'm sort of manipulating the other person to own it. Yeah. <laughs> and then then we can move forward. So I was, I was thinking it would go that way. I was hoping it would be like that. Uh I thought it would be a short little interlude. I didn't think it was gonna be a, uh uh such a big deal, but when it did get like that, that's when I actually honestly said I think there's a psychological thing Mm. going on and that was another violation of protocol for me to say that right of course i mean you're suggesting
0: that he's not as strong as he thinks he is
2: yeah well like that was a real concern for me and i can see that like i saw
1: his concern of like his worry for my parenting skills like paraphrasing it if i can't see the difference between insults yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah that was a low blow that's just like, that is so Honestly, I cringed. I cringed. I did too. Because <laughs> I didn't want to make it that a problem because it's. I, I literally am not, I am i wasn't functionally scratched Scratched by that um, sentence. I wouldn't I expect just, you to be. No.
0: It's like, it's, it's, the sort of it. thing, it's the sort of thing that a miffed teenager might say to you.
1: Right. Yeah. And I was like, come on, dude, you're not a dad. And I know that it's not like, that's kind of like, Beside the point too, but it's just yeah don't bring my kids into it. They're, you don't want me to get all M M&M and M fucking. <laughs> 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 uh, That's funny. Yeah, but it, it's it's just an interesting thing because I I don't like the pretense of we're not human and we are as we kind of comport ourselves to be when we follow the rules. I like rules. I think they're necessary. Um, I couldn't live without many of them. Just Of course, yeah. Of course. In terms of raising my kids. But um to unconsciously adhere to them as if you can only learn something through the rule structure. Yeah. Uh that is definitely a misconception. Like I, I know that is not how I
2: arrived at where it's I'm It's
0: almost at. beyond naive, honestly.
2: I would no, think it, that it's actually yeah. O C D is what hmm. it is. Yeah. That's what I feel. Because I I
0: think, like, I feel like it's like embedded in almost every popular children's story that following the rules is not enough.
1: Dude, absolutely, that's a huge lesson in a lot of stories.
2: So you know, talking about this dad-child thing, what happened to me is, is I I love fairy tales. Like as a kid, I really love fairy tales. And what annoyed—I'm the oldest uh, uh, of my brothers and sisters. And, and all these fairy tales, the oldest uh, brother, you know, he he's always fucked every fucking mm. story, and yeah. it's the youngest child that uh, succeeds, right? This this theme really did annoy me quite a bit. And I thought, oh, I better watch it. I, I better see it that I embody the the, the child, uh, no matter what's happening. That, that's ah. how it first started becoming apparent to me that the child archetype was the one that I wanted to occupy. So
1: that's so uh, cool to hear.
2: <laughs> I, I let my brothers uh, occupy the the older brother archetype, and it was a disaster for them. And I, I regret the whole thing now. <laughs> I think I should have handled my role <laughs> well. Uh,
1: only you would know, but like I, yeah, I, I do think there's there's wisdom in being the oldest and yet still having a very young disposition.
2: Well, there is. There is.
1: It's. I I, I promise to never. I want to be a Toys R Us kid for as long as I can. It's just, that's how me and my son relate even. Like we can still relate through video games. And I do think that there's a unique prospect on the line intergenerationally. Um, And this conversation in many ways represents it because what's happening here, I believe can extend down to like my nine-year-old generation level. It does. In terms of, we can all talk about like the video game aspect of things. And then start to understand how those metaphors correspond to an interpretation about reality that is functional, at least if not somewhat, uh, maybe even um, what is it, enterprising, capitalistically in the future. There's there's the likelihood that it's going to be the kids that can code and do computers that are running the world, and anyone that familiarizes themselves with that feature of what's coming out of human uh out of human utility and all that
2: well it's interesting you say that because i'm actually a game programmer children's game programmer
1: are you serious yeah that's so, pretty fucking cool
2: yeah so i've been working on a, a an animation framework a game framework for a little while now uh wow let's and- keep going man and part of my goal is to uh create a game that has all these alchemical ideas already in them because i noticed that um when i noticed when i would uh go to the office and work with some of these younger programmers is that the only people that knew anything about alchemy were these gamers yeah <laughs> I they knew more more than like 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 you know, people who claim to know about alchemy and uh and it's because they, they, they learned it from this very at this very base level, the elements and they learn about the elements and then the right. songs are related to the elements and so they start to have this this idea this sense of the phenomenology of the elements without really realizing that they're learning ancient culture. It
1: was all subconsciously like absorbed yeah. like almost through and, osmosis. And,
2: yeah. And it's a strange sort of absorption because the game programmers who first brought alchemy in had no idea what it was but they just needed the they needed narrative. the decorations, they needed the yeah. narrative they, needed, they you know they wanted the ideas so then they would just do some the symbolic significance yeah yeah, yeah. so they would do just shallow research and just drag whatever they could that and yeah. that you know and into the project that's generally how it goes um well, but so it would still is, uh... seep in
0: are entirely unrelated, but I just shut my fucking finger in the door, and I had it's like a bitch.
1: What the oh, fuck? No, <laughs> oh,
0: dude.
1: That's like reverse really? awesome.
2: Well, that would be a synchronicity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? What was I saying? I know, like it was something about alchemy. when it happened. Something about alchemy and door slamming on a finger.
0: Oh God. <laughs> I'm not actually sure what you were saying when it happened because I had to leave the room, which cuts off my connection.
1: I <sighs> see. Shit, man! God that sounded. Damn it!
0: Fuck! It's like broken my skin, so it hit me pretty hard.
1: Oh wow! <sighs> Is it the wooden door? That
0: um, it was yeah, it was a wooden door. Yeah.
1: You <sighs> shut
2: you shut a door on your finger. Interesting. I don't know.
0: Uh, no, the door shut on my finger because it's got like an automatic closer.
2: Oh really? Wow. Yeah. I
0: hurt like a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, I know that
2: was completely. Yeah, <laughs>
1: perfect. no, that's like
2: I can't remember where we were, but uh,
1: well, it was uh, about video games smuggling alchemy. Oh in. yeah, yeah.
2: So, so I, I've wanted to bring this in, and then recently, like I also work with uh, microprocessors, uh, like
1: uh, making them or working
2: uh, we're working with them. You know, okay. They, you actually used to make circuit boards, but um, Dude, that's now, really impressive. Yeah, yeah. So there's this, there's this uh, chip. It's actually a, this little circuit board now. You can buy for like three dollars. And what it is is it has it has its own Wi-Fi, and it can becomes immediately a server. It can become a, a server. It's got a significant amount of memory in it, and actually you could put. The, the the idea of a game in it and Is it's just arduino like, or raspberry yeah, pi or something it's actually smaller than the arduino and the raspberry pi. it's it's uh one chinese company decided to put all these features wi-fi everything into one little chip system in That's one cool. little chip and and charge you like two i don't know something like less than two bucks for the chip which what's means it called you, well the, it, it's called uh ESP8622 that was the first generation and then now it's an ESP32 and um, the language that uh, a bunch of people who did a, a project and and created a language for this particular chip and um I'm quite impressed with it they used uh python not a language mm. I know so I've been learning it quickly since
0: dude,
2: that's oh so dude cool. python is beautiful yeah so yeah I'm learning my uh python I I want to use this MicroPython environment that goes on this Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi spot. And the beauty of it is it can be a a server for a game. So if anyone has one of these, everyone can play in relation to this chip.
1: Is it like a mesh network kind of?
2: Well, it's a Wi-Fi point, and it's a server. So if everybody logs on to this server, you just put it in your USB, and now you've got a server. Everyone logs on to that server, and they're all connected. Wow. And it costs, like, five bucks. That is the, like... It's hard to believe what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that is really amazing. Yeah. Man. So so I, I'm moving in this direction of some sort of interactive central point people can respond to. One of the, the first early stages I want to get to is simply having a philosophical argument that is proposition by proposition, have some way of projecting it onto the screen and then uh, have people's objections to certain propositions, you know, being able to visually show at least the major uh, structure of the prop, uh, of of this person's propositional claims. Um, I think having a, having a way to have them visualize, visualize and have, having people respond to them visually might might actually um speed up speed up development by making certain points so clear mm-hmm. there there no one wastes time in those circles
1: i think that's the appropriate use of imagination there yeah a grounded application right there yeah that's beautiful dude
2: <clears throat> yeah so I am I am working towards that kind of uh, that kind of architecture, but I've been like re- I rewrote re- it three times in the last uh, two years, and part of it is is because it's a it's a joint project, which is with another project of mine, which is trying to represent consciousness mm-hmm. in uh, algorithmic form. And what Dude. kind of structures would you use to do that to to make it dynamic, so that you can reform and reconstruct? in real time, right?
1: Yeah. to to model what we have accurately enough so that the thing that we build doesn't become pathological.
2: Yeah. Uh yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Among others. I think I have a more positive goal, but <laughs> yeah, I know that's that's good yeah. enough. <laughs> if you
1: if you at least make sure that it doesn't do a few of the most easily I mean
0: in order to achieve the positive goal, surely you want to avoid the pathology.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, surely, yeah. Uh, and we don't seem to be avoiding the pathology, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it's what's actually funny about this. This is why I think that Peterson stands out in ways that people don't completely understand yet. Mm-hmm. And I've been I've been focusing on this, and it's like the difference. I, I focused on it the other day with the. Uh, 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 one of the youngians is that the difference between Nietzsche and Jung is that Jung was a doctor he cared mm-hmm. about the he didn't, he wasn't just interested in philosophy for philosophy's sake he was interested in the healing aspect right. of philosophy and yeah. it turns out that actually philosophy isn't philosophy unless you include the healing aspect I, uh, I, which I, is surprising I, yeah. at first but it is actually true and and Peterson, Peterson it's used, interesting sorry guys. I'm losing you. I don't know what's going on here.
0: Sorry. Um, No, I was just going to say it's interesting because I noticed like probably a year ago now that um, people who are in my field use conflicting terms for what they are. And one of them is metaphysicist. That's the term that I prefer because it's the technical analysis. But then the other one uh, is metaphysician, right? Hmm.
2: Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort
0: of like I can understand. I fully understand, like, why the connotation appeals, but you have to be a metaphysicist first in order to be a metaphysician, in my opinion.
1: I I think that really works, actually, when you put it that way.
2: Yes, the way that I like to put it is that the restricting yourself to be a met- to being a metaphysician makes you a better metaphysicist. Hmm. It works both ways I, I think, think
0: um yeah I think there's definitely uh an element of truth to that, but I think that the truth in that is subordinate to the proposition that before you can heal correctly, That's you need right. to understand what's wrong
2: yeah, yeah. and you know and this brings us to uh the 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 history of the synchronicity school, and mm-hmm. that there i I believe I've been trying to follow it down, so at, the, at a certain point i started to realize that there was some knowledge that kind of kind of uh got lost in you know th- so there's knowledge and then every culture does operations on that knowledge and then you're you're trying to trace back okay well who knew what and yeah. when did certain bits get lost and uh, what was going on and and can you trace back historically to where this body of knowledge comes from and it does actually come from when if you're just using your eyes you can figure it out and and one of the ways i i figured i figured some of it out is i i got um what what is that you know that man's big book that large book that's the history of spiritual traditions oh a large Hmm. you know you know which book i'm talking about i'm not familiar a lot of people uh, (laughs) i do not brendan referred to it uh but anyways what it is is it one that he posted yeah yeah yeah. GPC?
1: yeah Yeah, yeah. i didn't i don't recall the name but it's yeah yeah video.
2: so there's a whole bunch of like images from egyptian art it's just like artifacts right pictures of artifacts mm-hmm. spiritual artifacts and i went i have no idea uh what these things are or what or what they're even talking about like I, right. you know i i admit that i look at them I, I look at them with fascinated eyes but and i go is this nonsense or is there something yeah that they know that they're trying to communicate with these artifacts that I'm not getting uh so i just I just xeroxed them out of the book and enlarged them, and then I got this sheet of paper that was about you know twenty feet long by about uh four feet wide, put it mm-hmm. on the wall and had them all up and just every day I walked through uh, into the uh, uh pl- place we were living into the house, I would just look at them all. Just look at them all back and just keep looking at them and just letting just my imagination. Quickly, um...
0: mm-hmm. Just yep. quickly step back briefly. You said yep. something about um, like information that's lost. And I thought that, um, you know, we had a relevant frame just the topic before that, right? Which was um, computer science or programming because... Um, like when we're thinking about like translation from one language to another, you know, um, it's intuitive that information could be lost. But then when we look at like conversion between variable types in programming, it cements it. It says, okay, like different, um, variables actually can contain different amounts of information. And if you convert between them freely, there is no doubt that you will lose some.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And you always do every operation there's always some loss and the interesting thing is what are the good ideas that got lost and one of them is logos for sure no question about that that somehow that got lost uh yeah. and it's strange actually how it gets lost and it's and actually i think that the word the logos or the idea of the logos is another one of these concepts that people compulsively uh have reactions to without being aware that they are yeah uh because it brings a a, a different frame uh preference so like what i've learned from experience when i post is that there are certain quotes by blake or shakespeare i can use and people know exactly what i'm talking about and at the same time there's that part of them that wants to reduce it and they know they can't and hmm. when you when, when you and that's the power of some images or quotes is that uh one of my favorite favorites is blake's Uh, you know, you have a flower in the palm of your hand, which hold on. A and it, it auguries of innocence, right? To see a world in a grain of sand, and heaven in a wow. wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. Post that, people actually, you know. They they've had experiences like it, so they know that, that to some degree that it's phenomenologically real. Yeah, um, it was one of the ways that I, as a child, started adapting to this notion because I, I would read that and I go, "What is he talking about? What is he talking about?" So at first you think it's just imagination, and then you see it's some sort of orientation. Yeah. Uh, so, which means that 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 true things can be spoken of first in imaginary ways but they were never meant to be imaginary
1: yeah they were signifying something transcendent
2: yeah they were signifying ideas yeah and, it, and i think that honestly genesis is 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 that but the way to understand genesis is is a set of operations on earlier ideas and and unless you know the earlier ideas you really be able to code uh the the message in genesis yeah some of the messages in genesis
1: like genesis was moses distillation of uh older ideas or something like that
2: no i I think there's a bunch of editors in a room with very big hats, yeah making a lot of decisions about how certain narratives would be constructed Um, yeah there there was a definite desire to leave history behind so you see notice how history one of the things i did was start studying the history of the cre around the time the people claim that the, the torah was written which this is how i came to samaria right. Samaria happens to be also the place where alchemy begins so like when i followed down where do people get these ideas from the alchemical idea where do they get it from Mm -hmm. Like, how far back does it go? And I keep following it back. Then I end up in uh, really Greek culture. But then I see that there's a whole history before it. And actually, a a dream led me to it. I had a dream. Nice. And in the dream, I was in the Mediterranean. I don't know why I thought it was in the Mediterranean, but that's where I thought I was in water that was, like, uh, waist deep. And I had two crystals in my hand and I don't know why I, it occurred to me or I thought that one was Greek and one was Jewish. And I thought, why am I thinking? And so like in the dream itself, I'm already thinking, why am I thinking that these two crystals are related and that <laughs> one is one culture and one is another? I thought, that's yeah. a weird dream, very yeah. weird dream. But an interesting uh,
1: kind of realization to have lucidly.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of these, uh, for some reason, crystals have often been connected to s- lucid experiences of the past, mm-hmm. and it goes back to this uh, mythology around, ar- around crystals, and, and actually that's... Well, I mean, like,
0: let's think about why you assented to my earlier use of the word crystallization, right? It's because... That's right. ...crystals are, are very uh, analogous to the articulation of truth.
2: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah, so the, it was a and It was a irritating pearl that dream for me. Dude, that's another because, good. Matter. Because I I just couldn't see why I was dreaming that, and uh, I had that weird feeling there was some truth to it. But uh, um, and and so then I come upon another really odd odd thing, and this came out of the golden bow reading, and that is uh, Adonis is actually appears to be. And this, I don't know why this doesn't seem to bother anyone. So, like the the Christ archetype in Greece was Adonis, mm-hmm. and Adonis actually is a, the Hebrew word for Lord. And what bothered me was here is a pre-Christian Christ figure, and his name is the Jewish name for Lord. That seems really That seemed really odd to me. Yeah, like, why doesn't that does that bother people? Like. That would mean that this idea of the Christ and and its connection to Jewish culture predates by, you know, uh, uh, maybe a thousand years, maybe less, uh, the beginning of Christianity. So that seemed like also really odd to me. Mm-hmm. And how do you follow? I that mean, up?
0: mean, it's a coincidence. I can think of like two justifications for like not being bothered by that. The first is ignorance; you don't know that that's yeah. the case. And the second is, of course, <laughs> that you think your belief is so true that it was represented yes. in the reality long before you came upon it.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, eventually, I do start to see that there is that. Uh, this whole cultural paradigm uh, comes before Greece. So one of the things I wanted to do was redo that image that you showed, Matthew, with uh, the Roman and the Greek. It was you, I think. You did this image and, and one is copying the other. And under one it says Roman oh, and the other one. You know that the, one?
1: The meme, yeah.
2: The meme. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, to reverse it and, and put Greek on the right and Sumerian on the on the left. Oh, you <laughs>
0: that would be a great follow-up man and then yeah. like
2: uh maybe an ellipses
0: in the bottom right
2: corner
1: <laughs> dude and then uh, yeah i mean so i don't want to go ahead keep going
2: when you follow down so this is how this conversation with dave could have been a lot more interesting and and so uh, brendan starts out with this really strange quote i've never seen yeah. before Yeah, Uh, and I I think he's just baiting me or something. That's actually what I think is going on. So poor Dave walks (laughs) into this. Uh, So I I didn't even feel like responding to uh, to Brendan's uh, uh, original post. Original post, and then I thought that the guy, this this guy, who seemed to be, I don't know, it was another guy in a strangely schizophrenic uh, way. I, I, I don't know what to weird. make of it. Is, yeah, very strange. I didn't know it
1: either. I was just like, okay. I thought maybe he's on drugs, and uh, <laughs> it's his own thing. If, what he, I you know, said. if he
2: is, then it really is cool. But then he does yeah. it later, and it seems to be continuing to do it like days later. And either he's on drugs again, or like, dude, this is how? Joshua,
1: I thought the same thing. I was like,
2: <laughs> it's so
1: weird when people carry over things that I thought were just spontaneous.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, so maybe I mean, uh, they over-identify with the idea.
2: That yeah. might be it. Well, it looks like he does. It's like all these strange, strange things. You know, you have to live with them. Uh, <laughs> you have to live because you can't kill them.
0: I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
0: to my mind, someone who doesn't come across many profound truths probably becomes very attached to the ones that they do.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I I I I feel lucky on that on that point because I I just uh I just started reading everything and everyone. Um huh. and that ha- actually was very s- a safe approach because it starts to give you this statistical sense that there's something that's going on that a lot of people think is real and it would take be quite arrogant of me to uh you know project uh closure at at a certain point. So then it, it, helped, yeah. it helped keep me open to possibilities I thought were highly unlikely.
1: That's great. Yeah, Th- that's actually... Oh, key... That makes
0: me feel arrogant, though, because the way that I maintain that openness personally has nothing to do with that.
2: Hmm. Uh, how do you do it? Yeah.
0: Um, mostly I do it by hey. trying to, like, think about how I got here and, like, why... Oh, yeah other people don't listen and the answer is well probably i'm wrong essentially you know what i mean
2: Yeah. like
0: if it was me in their shoes i probably wouldn't listen to me
2: i don't know what that means that's interesting
0: it means Uh, that what i say seems outrageous in a way that can be easily rationally justified
1: as dismissed, it
0: actually is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that someone could come up with an answer like that.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know.
1: With the whole data logical thing, is what he's talking about.
2: Well, it's not ridiculous. The thing is, is it isn't. And uh, to the modern
0: man, it is.
2: I know. I, like, I've ha- always had to deal with the, one of the ridiculous aspects of it is um, whenever I'm doing that something nothing thing. There's mm-hmm. always a stranger that walks in and goes, "Why the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> do you even care? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are you just
2: talking about? Gonna, nothing. nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's impossible to not have a person point that out some at some point.
2: Yeah, it was, I didn't get much of it because I always came at it from a very poetic point of view. So then people thought, "Oh, this is poetry." So. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we have to just let it be. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, we've got to let people have their poetry. That's And for me, it was the poetry of zero. The uh, notion yeah. of zero as an archetype. Um, that partly started... It's funny.
0: Right? No? Like, it seems self-evident that their criticism is valid because, like, literally, we're talking about nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know.
1: And we're taking it to the serious degree of categorizing yeah. it. And no, everything. it
2: just seems absurd. I can, I and know not I'm just that. Her. But then, like,
0: when we spit out as our conclusion that it's ridiculous, it's like, well, what a waste of fucking time! I could have told you <laughs> that intuitively.
1: <laughs> but, dude, that's actually really funny to think about. It's like it someone's like, "Hey, have you ever thought about nothing?" They're so like, "No," but it's ridiculous, and you're like, "Yeah, but wait, let me show you how it's ridiculous."
2: The thing is, uh, the only reason I ever have a compulsion to do it is when I get the, the, uh, the, the view, which I always feel some pity for when someone is trapped in the sense that there's nothing that they can claim is real and they, uh, they don't know what world they're in and they don't mm-hmm. believe anyone could know as well. And that uh, the most important thing is to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: it's fascinating to me that you treat that element as like just another tool in the tool set, you know, because like <laughs> that's that's an answer that historically philosophers have not agreed on. We've never come to a conclusion on the question.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, see, I don't believe that's completely true. So but so believe it or not, this something-nothing discussion happens in the Vedas, right? For the same fucking reason, right? <laughs> and uh uh, so I was shocked to discover that. That was one of like I thought logic began, you know, uh, um, when when people in the Western tradition started paying attention to logic. But logic was a, was a big concern in Indian culture, a very big concern. Um, so they do that logical work at the beginning. So and I think the Sumerians do as well. So they, they actually know that the, the the Sumerian Sumerians lived in a phenomenological world. And they were trying to to uh, measure the phenomenological world because they began with a sort of phenomenological start. No one knows why or how, but psychedelics were a part of it. No question in my mind about that. <laughs> There's way, way too much evidence. And so when you see the uh, the famous oppositorum uh, image of the two snakes facing each other, right? Ah, uh, yeah. That's that's a that's it. Uh, this is how we come back to what I was saying earlier, like, you do the research, where does this all begin? Well, it all seems to begin with a particular school. Uh, And, like, I know it sounds like a conspiracy theory. You go, well, what? One school? But to tell you the truth, uh, probably, if you think about how uh, significant knowledge would come about in human culture, it would Mm -hmm. probably happen at one point in one school. Like, it would start, someone would start the ball rolling, and then people would pick it up and it would keep developing and that would be how it would happen and it would probably happen well it wouldn't happen everywhere at once it would happen maybe in one place uh and and that would be the thing that would develop it would be an anomaly that would develop and i yeah. i do think you know human culture is a strange it's almost like an anomaly that keeps uh, being shut down and um somehow in sumeria it survives uh the logic of uh, the, the nature of things in the world. I don't know why, but it's so. It's the school is the Asclepius school, which is a, a medical school. This was a healing school, huh. and uh, the guy who is the head teacher is symbolized as a guy with a staff, and he has a snake on the staff. So, like here is a healing school. The guy looks like Moses. He's holding a staff, and there's a snake on the staff. And in the Moses story, there's a guy who heals people in the desert. Well, it's Moses that's healing people in the desert. And he has a staff with a snake on the staff. That's how he's healing these people. Like, that's odd. And what yeah. I follow is not the, that there's an idea, but there's a cultural motif. Obviously, that means that uh, the history of that school is connected to, this, to the medical school. And that school is connected to Heraclitus and Empedocles. And perhaps so um, Plato.
0: Perhaps what we could say is it, it uh, seems
2: odd, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so then you just explore it further. So, what is that symbol? What is that snake on the staff? What is that symbol? And that symbol first appears in a cup. Um, and what it is, is it's the entheogen cup. I don't know what it, what it is they drink. But from all, from what I, my best guess that at least it's one of the guesses one of the most popular medicines at the time was uh, beer and mandrake or wine and mandrake and they also mm-hmm. used it as a as an anesthetic for surgery so like it was an important substance and and what it seems to be I haven't actually. Done it, so I don't know what it is exactly. But f- from what people suggested is that it's a bit like a, like a a, a psychedelic uh, love drug. Wow,
1: yeah, man, is is this mandrake?
2: Yeah, mandrake.
1: Yeah, I've never so, heard this one.
2: Well, mandrake appears. The reason I got interested is it also appears in uh, a section of the Torah that's connected to Sumerian culture, and it's the uh, 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 the Song of Solomon and also hmm. appears in one story where uh one of the wives of one of the patriarchs uh wants to have sex with with the husband with uh, and she has to get permission from i guess the 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 wife that has the most status in the house and hmm. she meets the trade of mandrakes uh, oh. uh for for uh the right to have sex with uh, with this man uh hmm. And they use it for fertility, it's a fertility drug. And the reason that I think that's significant is that uh, it, in, in Hebrew, it has the same word as uh, beloved. So the Mandrake, uh, it means the same thing as beloved. So it's a love drug, right? Okay. Um, so that's sort of established by, in the language, that that's how they thought about it. And it was connected to fertility. And I know that the Sumerians, fertility was their number one concern. So. Uh, there's no way that the mandrake wouldn't have been part of, part of their fertility ritual. Hmm. So, again, it's it's an organized uh, a, a idea around entheogens. And then when you start to research the group of people that seem to be closely related to this idea, that is, where does this cup appear and what is the group that actually have this cup? And strangely enough, the king- wh- who has this cup is his name- his name is King Judea, which sounds an awful like Judaic, which is also an odd coincidence yeah but that one's a hard one to prove and there's there's this whole evidentiary stream around sounds, and no one really knows sure what the original sounds were. they just make guesses yeah and i'm I'm not sure we know um but what what but but what's interesting is that school uses that same image, and it's the uh, coincidentia oppositorum. Ah. So here again, we got the coincidence archetype appearing, yeah. which I don't regard as coincidence. Um, but what they what they felt was this alchemical experience that produces this synchronistic phenomena uh, has to do with a coincidence of opposites. And they project that as a coincidence of different gender projections or different gender positions and one of them is receptive that is it's taking in the information it's receiving so Mm -hmm. it's taking in this stream of evidence which is all receptive and then at the very same time in synchrony with it there's a there's another part that's that's projecting an interpretation Mm. and the rule is Every fact has to be included in the interpretation. And if the, interp- the framework has to change in order to include a fact, it must. That's what so the flow just, is. The flow is constantly including. Uh, you, you don't really have to be critical of whether it makes sense or not in the experience. But if, if you are doing the epistemological work parallel, in parallel, you can actually see how it does make sense.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if that under, so, is underwriting the, yeah. the input.
2: Yeah. And then what some people do is they check out during the whole experience and then they talk about nothingness. And it's a big joke. I always laugh about that. I go, yeah. it's nothingness if you check out. Yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be. You're, you're, mm. It's going to be. You had the experience and then you come out and you go, wow, that was, it was amazingly nothing. But it's not nothing. Something's happening. It's again that nothing something